0: Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Joining me today, once again, is our friend, freelance writer, Fraser Brown. Festive felicitations. We also welcome back freelance writer, Rowan Kaiser. Hello. So it is a just about a new year, uh, a, a new time for strategy gaming, a new era, uh, but it is also an appropriate time to sort of look back at 2015 and what some of our highlights were, and... You know, fellas, I got to say, like, when, when I sat down to start, like, actually writing down a list of, of things that came out this year, uh, there were quite a lot of good games uh, th- this year. And I it's weird because, like, I had been feeling in the late fall uh, that I was like, boy, it feels like it hasn't been that big a year for, for strategy. Uh, but no, I, I had forgotten uh, all the great games that, like, came out in the spring and last winter.
1: I think it, what happens so often when I look back in the last year, I I really look back at the last six months and I forget about all of these amazing things that came between, you know, January and June. I just completely forget. Um, and, and like yourself looking back, I was like, wow, actually this year has been pretty, there's been a lot of rich stuff for us to kind of delve into. Uh, yeah, it's been a really good year.
2: I feel like, uh, We haven't had, like, a huge A-plus amazing game that everyone is talking about, and that makes it hard, but there have been a lot of, like, A-minus, B-plus games that have made this year pretty fun
0: overall. Yeah, this year definitely sort of lacked that um, Endless Legend kind of game, which may or not be a great strategy game. (laughs) may or may not be a great strategy game. Uh, Rowan, you said said something a, a little while ago about uh, when you, when you play Endless Legend, you always remember like why you like it so much, but you're always looking for that thing uh, to make you love it. Uh, and, and I think Endless Legend did sort of last year become that game that you sort of had to you had to play and had to have some kind of reaction to because it was uh, so different and, and so iconoclastic in, in some ways. This year, yeah, we're we're lacking that sort of uh, not necessarily a consensus pick. But that's sort of uh you know tentpole conversation uh game that that sort of dominates everything, and instead, like as I look at my list and this is this is sort of a theme for me this year actually uh there's an awful lot of games that I would consider sort of like smaller uh strategy and war games uh you know not not big sprawling four x things not not like huge uh important r t s games, but a lot of A lot of weird things like just before we uh, just before we started recording, I was actually playing Frozen Cortex to see if I liked that game as much as I remember liking it. Uh, And it turns out, yeah, uh, that remains kind of one of my one of my favorite games of this year, especially since that game actually changed quite a bit. And they added an entire like franchise manager mode uh, where you can sort of control your team of robot football players uh, and hire new ones and and do all that kind of stuff, but really, just that just that core game that that like tactical sport uh, is is really fantastic. Did you play Blood Bowl too? No, I didn't. Uh, that that so uh, I lost track of when that was even coming out. To be quite honest, it's
1: not that long ago, yeah, actually, it was a couple months. I ago. think it.
0: I I just saw some people,
1: fall as the Americans say.
2: I just saw some people calling it a sports XCOM that was shockingly good. So.
1: I played a little bit, but I have to admit that I I struggle with it, and I just in the same way that I struggled with the uh, original Blood Bowl. It's very there's a lot of stopping and starting, um, which is American football, I guess. I mean that's what it's like. But that's I think maybe why I kind of really liked Frozen Cortex because um,
2: uh, that's American soccer.
1: Yeah, it's like it's not so much. It's not the same, you know. It's it's it doesn't feel like I'm actually playing uh, a sports game. It feels like, whereas it's not like a sci-fi game that feels like a sports game in the same way that Blood Bowl is very much just fantasy sports.
2: I remember the first Blood Bowl being especially sort of fiddly and taking extra time on things, which is beyond even what like, good American football video games try to do. They try to keep that as smooth as they possibly can.
1: It's got a lot of character, though. I mean, I think that's maybe something that was missing a little bit from, fo- from Frozen Cortex, um, where it was quite cold, um, although still fun. Um. whereas Blood Bowl 2, it just oozes character. There are so many larger-than-life personalities in it, and it is fun to see them interact with each other. You know, when an ogre smashes in to an elf, it, it's fun to watch, even if you've seen it happen a dozen times.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I, I never really warmed up to Blood Bowl, and I am curious, I, I do wonder if... Blood Bowl 2 would have addressed some of my issues because I think they're actually fundamental to the way, fundamental to the way Blood Bowl itself is supposed to work. I, I've sort of explained, I think, before on this show, that the thing that leaves me a little cold about Blood Bowl is um, it, it seems like a game that really beats you down with how heavily the odds are stacked against you being to do cool things. Really, like it's yeah, it's 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 a it's a it's a game where things that you sort of take for granted in a traditional football game, where like okay, you're gonna be able to take the snap, quarterback's gonna drop back and throw a slant route, and it'll get to the receiver, and there's a ch- there's a good chance that's gonna work out. In Blood Bowl, it's like actually here's here's the eight places that can all go horribly wrong uh before that actually <laughs> happens. Oh, sorry, you didn't correctly calculate the odds of. Actually being able to get your blocking to work on that play of your quarterback actually delivering something even resembling a a forward pass uh, or your receiver to actually catch it. And that that always frustrates me, whereas Frozen Cortex... um, Frozen Cortex is about like making cool things happen. Like the the thing you have to watch for is of course getting like intercepted and uh making sure your players are sort of in position and holding still so they can like let like put down blocks. Uh so so that's the thing you'll have to watch for. But within those constraints, what you expect to happen is going to happen, and I find that a little more satisfying.
1: Yeah, I have very little more to say about Blood Bowl two really. <laughs> I played like an hour or two, so <laughs> Those are my opinions
2: I, I didn't play any Frozen Cortex so
0: Oh Rowan
1: <laughs> But I did want to, you, Both of you were saying a moment ago That you didn't feel like there was any big This massive game that kind of dominated Conversation And I would disagree because I think that game's called Heroes of the Storm uh, It's huge Well, And it came out this year I mean I think people were playing it before this year But it launched in June And I mean, I don't know about you two chaps, but I bloody love it. It's the first time that I've really become hooked on a MOBA. Um, I mean, I played quite a bit of Smite because I I love the all the gods, and I actually like how it's very different from most MOBAs because it's more like a third person kind of action game. Uh, But here's the storm is the one that I have. I've spent money quite a bit of money on heroes of the storm um i mean i feel gross when i'm buying like a skin for sonya that turns her into some sort of 1960s or 1970s sci-fi heroine um that adds nothing to the game but i i'm invest in it i'm invested in it so it, i want these characters it adds to things cool.
2: to the game her animations change it says like boom it does it hits a ground
1: bookie you it's, it, great. it's brilliant. And it's, so, it's but, so fun when you've played that character like a thousand times. It's nice to see them look a little bit different. But I, I've just become really gripped by the game. And I th- it's because of its simplicity. And it, well, also, I think because I'm a big fan of Blizzard. And it's kind of, you know, all of the heroes are these kind of, a lot of some of them are classic. Some of them are, are heroes that I didn't know or forgot about. But it's fun to kind of delve into Blizzard's history. But it, it's mostly just that I can just pick it up. I can I can stop playing for like three months and come back, and I still know exactly what's going on, even if there are new maps and new characters. Whereas with something like League or Dota, I'd be screwed. There's so much to take into account, and that's fine. But for me, MOBAs, I think, kind of lend themselves better to that sort of simple gameplay, where I don't really want to think too hard. Um I have other strategy games for that, whereas MOBAs I feel should be a bit more immediate. And yet strangely most of them are not. They're all about like planning um <laughs> and kind of really thinking about who else like, you know, who your friends are playing, what items you're gonna buy, what order you're gonna do it in. And that's fine. But for that style of game, I really just wanna jump into a battle and start, you know, owning noobs. which i don't do very often because i'm shit
2: the disdain with which fraser said planning was i think yeah uh,
0: (laughs) welcome to three moves ahead and our regular (laughs) panelist fraser brown who hates games (laughs) about planning and knowing how the game works
1: (laughs) in mobas i mean there's something weird when i play a moba i just don't want to do that i want it to be more immediate um I've got, there's so many games that I love that where I will just pour over graphs and charts and menus and spend like four hours before even really moving a year forward. But in in a mobile, I want to jump right into the action and just start
0: killing I'm, people. I'm just imagining like Fraser on a Friday night, if, he, if you're the sort of person to go out and like doing things like playing bumper bowling and like playing pool and using the bridge on every single shot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Rowan, Rowan what do, what do you make of what uh of, of what Fraser just said about about heroes cuz I know you were you were way into that game for a little while and then I feel like you chilled on it a little bit.
2: I I basically witchered out for like a month and then went back, so <laughs> don't worry about that. Um it's I don't really consider it a strategy game, so I don't really the uh, it's not really on my radar in terms of like the tentpole strategy game but other than that if you do if you want to and that that's an easy argument to make i just would push it into a different category then yeah i mean a whole bunch of people like it a whole bunch of people are talking about it i think that fraser is right in that it's a lot more accessible at all a whole bunch of different levels than um, all my previous experience. It was with uh, Lords Management Games, part of the Idle Thumbs Network, and you know I'm still playing like three to five matches every day. And
0: uh, Rowan, but I I see like I see people like yelling at uh, Dustin Browder on Twitter. Every day about this game, why are people so angry about this good game? Have you <laughs> met Blizzard fans? <laughs> yeah, but the, no. It seems it seems like there is something specific to Heroes uh, going on. I am just curious, like uh, why why are so many of like the hard why is, why are so many of the hardcore discontent with the way that game works right now?
2: I I feel like it's gotten better in the last couple of months. Like Completely over the agree. summer, um, it was really really focused on like long-ranged assassins just nuking everything and uh so every single competitive game you played had the two mages kale and jaina and they just would like bombard everything and the game became who gets to pick them first and who manages to kill the other one on the other team first that was about it whereas now you have a lot more strategic variety where you have people picking teams that aren't just one tank one support and three damage doers it's you get multiple warrior teams multiple support teams a lot more often it's uh more varied more interesting and they've just added a new bulk range damage doer, so at least there's more variety on that end too. So I think there's been a lot of improvement in that direction.
1: And they do weird things um, as well. like Cho Gao is yeah. is so yeah. much fun to play. Um, I spent like a night doing nothing but playing Cho Gao with a mate, and it it was phenomenal. I didn't even I went um, which I can't Bomb. remember which is which, but I went the 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 caster head rather than the movement one, and I That's I was able to just sit there and just spew out evil warlock magic, cackling maniacally. And it was an absolute delight. And I can't think of very many games that would make a character that's so bizarre.
0: I'm curious, does that does that character actually work? Because for our yes. listeners who maybe don't know, Chogal is a character that is controlled by two people. Yeah. Uh, one like so if you remember the the two headed ogre from from Warcraft 2, uh like, okay. Uh it's it's that character and one player controls one head which apparently has control over like most of the motor functions do with the legs and controls movement uh and then the other character is basically the gunner and that's the way the the character was described it's like one character is driving the jeep and the other character is in the back with a machine gun and a rocket launcher uh so but but does that work cuz like it's a 5 on 5 game but now you're actually going to be down well, to four kill on it is a lot stronger
1: and a lot healthier than than other characters he lasts a lot longer um so he's he's only, one might say he's More virile. overpowered but the, the 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 balance is that he uh, if he dies then that's two players out of the game for a certain number of seconds or minutes so that's kind of a big loss so that that's how it works and and the, the players obviously they have to work really well together for instance um gal can toss out this thing uh, this ma- magical ball um but Cho is the one that actually makes it explode doing the damage um so you either and and when fights you know in the middle of a big team battle you're not really able to see that come out so you have to actually listen to your your chum it's something you really have to be communicating to for it to work
2: it, it's really interesting because it turns playing Gaul into a very oral experience where you're listening for either your teammate to say that uh he or she is doing it or you're listening for the cho thing in the game to hear
0: bomb bombs away
2: (laughs) and then like after you play that that's ringing in your ears because that was like your entire focus for the last 20 minutes and like it's this weird sort of auditory hallucination that this thing induces um it it's it's really a fascinating experience Um, I'm looking at the stats now and apparently he's become more viable or they've become more viable in like the ranked play when uh, Cho'Gal came out um, he was only like winning 25% of matches in ranked play I think because everyone knew how to pick against him like there are certain other characters that are really really effective against him but he's up to the into the 40th percentile of winning now so he's no longer a total disaster at a ranked level but in terms of just the jump in and play quick matches he's yeah he's a lot of fun he works and he's not the only one heroes has done a whole bunch of different heroes this year that are not the typical one player one character one role um, they started with the Lost Vikings, who are like an RTS. Three heroes across that you can like divide up however you want. Crazy. Yeah. Um, they also released Rexar, who's like a weak hero with a weak pet, but combined they can do a lot of damage. And then there's um, is it Abathur? So, like, or um, the, yeah, Abathur's Abather's older, but Abathur yeah. will like jump in and control, or not control, but like sit on top of you and give you shields and attack and be safe well in the background um i don't remember if murky was this year or not but
0: uh, i think murky was the last year because well they're all this
1: year strictly speaking because the game well but they were developed in alpha and beta yeah
0: so rowan i want to turn to you now uh what what was sort of a standout strategy game uh for for you
2: If I look back at it, probably the game that I'm saying my strategy game of the year was is Invisible Ink. Mm -hmm. This is not super duper solid because I think it's one of the ones that's like, it's a very good game that's maybe a little bit shy of being great, but that's the one that i think of of like being the best put together strategy game where every move seems to have weight every decision seems to be an interesting decision that you make um the combining the tactical turn-based um movement and combat but particularly movement with stealth ideas was uh very refreshing i'm not normally a stealth player And, but this is a way that I could conceive of it and sort of get mental control over the idea in a way that a dishonored or whatever, I don't really do. I feel like, you know, I just want to go and like shoot my cool guns that they gave me there. But Invisible Ink, it's like, okay, you're really constrained on all these things. So you really have to um, pay attention, get everything right. And so it, it had a very simple and effective kind of... All the pieces work together to it.
0: Yeah, that was uh that was probably on my th- that's probably on my podium at the very least. Um, it's for me, I think it was it, it was it was a good game made great actually by uh you know it, kind of the art and the style. Like I just I just really loved the overall aesthetic and vibe of Invisible Ink. Uh, you know this this weird like retro futurism uh that's going going on in there uh the the sort of you know animations for all the characters it just it it, it all felt really nice it it reminded me a bit of um like I could see it almost as taking place in the same like universe as like a no one no one lives forever uh almost is is the feeling I got from it so that so that carried a lot of uh, carried a lot of weight with me and I enjoyed the um you know, the various choices you're making about what kind of equipment and abilities you're bringing in uh, mission to mission and sort of the ways you can like it's a it's a stealth game, but there's very different flavors of of stealth that you can that you can adopt uh, in each mission. Right. You can really sort of push the, uh, you know, push the, the the hacking and the systems control uh, aspect of it, where you sort of turn a facility against its masters and sort of give yourself freedom of movement and information uh but that can come at the expense of agents you know sort of being able maybe being a little more useful uh you know themselves and sort of getting in the face of of various guards um i really really like that game i the the one thing that it's not even a complaint. It's just, man, did I have a hard time with that last mission? Uh, oh. I, I thought the last mission was going to work one way, and I was like, all right, this is going pretty well. It was tough, but I'm going to unlock the the final room, and I'm going to hack this this computer, and it'll be cool. And then I realized like how the end game actually works, <laughs> and it all went to hell.
2: Uh, I think one of the strengths of the game also is just sort of in. Showing how the metagame of the, like, strategy slash tactics can be done in a totally different way from your sort of, like, slow build of an XCOM, whereas in Invisible Ink you're given, like, a really strict deadline, and uh, everything grows, like, immediately desperate, and you can play game full games in, like, two or three hours. I mean, those are probably games that you've lost if it's that short, but um, it's... It it gave a sort of sense of immediate progress and understanding of the campaign, where, like, in XCOM, you could, like, have made a mistake ten hours before that would ruin everything, and you wouldn't know about it. At the same and, time,
1: I think with XCOM, you're able to uh, feel just such powerful squads if you've spent enough time kind of faffing around, um, so that by the end, you're actually not really... Able to enjoy a challenge, you're just steamrolling through all the aliens. Everyone's a mech or augmented, and it's it's fun. Hmm.
0: But it's there's no difficulty there. Hmm. Um, I question. Uh,
1: you can, I mean you can, I'm saying like all right, maybe all right, not a reason, a long I need to know war. your settings. How are you playing? I'm, XCOM? Not, <laughs> it, it, I'm Obviously, it's different. I'm talking about on your average settings, which would be normal, not Iron Man, not using mods like the Long oh. War or whatever. I'm oh. just talking about the bog standard vanilla XCOM. Obviously, you can well, tweak that.
2: I think that the the core issue is, and this is something, if we want to segue into the long war, which I also played a hell of a lot of this year, um, is that XCOM kind of escalates everything to avoid that. So you or it attempts to avoid it it doesn't really work so you get these more powerful characters but then the last third of XCOM is dropping these like gigantic ships on your head constantly and it just gets like such a slog but it's a slog that you have to pay attention to because you have your super soldiers who can be taken out in two hits if they're not paying perfectly good attention to you know the enemy robots that are popping up and can explode everything um and so invisible ink kind of by giving you a very strict um sense of how the game works avoids that because it's like no we're not going to get everything bigger at some scale that you can't understand like there is an end here and that might be bigger than you can handle rob but uh (laughs) or everyone actually that was a very common complaint with the game i think but Um, yeah, it's, it's good to have the smaller focus that, uh, and that's what, that was XCOM's greatest flaw and the long war only exacerbates that.
0: Yeah. Uh, I will say I had some hilarious moments in invisible ink, like, uh, just a mission that went all kinds of wrong. Uh, just the, like, I'd basically like taken too long to loot a level, uh, and it worked out pretty well in the end. I, I'd gotten a bunch of, like, rare equipment and upgrades and a ton of cash. But I had basically stayed so long. Like, I I, I was basically, like, I had a lease on that level uh, by, by the end. Like, the alarm level. Because the alarm level sort of ticks up every turn. And uh, I had I had pushed it way too long. So, like, uh, really advanced uh, guards were, were sort of pouring onto the level. And uh, I just sort of had to run like hell. And I had this one, like, narrow uh, escape route. And uh, it ended up working out, but the only reason it worked out is because I had a character basically just sitting on a guard's head uh, for, for like six turns. Uh, just like repeatedly, like just choke slamming them into the ground. I guess uh, while my party just entirely ran past, and uh, then that character finally like sort of let the guard let the guard up, and uh, he sort of ran like hell for the elevator. But it was just it was just hilarious, like sort of having this character just camp this guard. And I think a couple times I actually had that had her uh, go do something else, and then just return just in time to put the guard down again. It was like Arrested Development when Buster's like choking people out. Uh, you know throughout the second season. That's kind of how it felt. It's a game that
1: looks like it expects you to play, you know, coolly and and slick, but actually is is often most fun when you're just uh, a hot mess, really, just (laughs) running around frantically, punching guards.
2: Uh, The... Another interesting thing that it does with its metagame that to avoid being like a late game XCOM is that it instead of having like saving and reloading that you can do at whatever interval, um you have rewinds which are resources within the game that you have to try to manage. And so if you so if you totally screw up, you can use a rewind and get out of that, but you then you don't have that later and that uh that keeps a good focus on the game that's not just like oh everything's gone to hell i'm going to have to uh use a save game but i don't want to use the save game or i'm playing on iron man or whatever whereas invisible ink is like nope this is part of the game and
0: it just felt a whole lot smoother for that so I'm a little surprised that we've gotten this far into the show and nobody's brought up City Skylines and Fraser. When you were prefacing your remarks about like you thought there was one big game, I was like, "All right, yeah, here comes City Skylines." Yeah, that's a good point. I think um, it is just because I've been playing a lot
1: of Heroes recently, so it's fresh in my mind. But yet you brought it up, and bloody hell, what an amazing game! Uh, and what's what's been so great about City Skylines is I felt that I felt i I'd, I'd seen everything I needed to see. Um, I I had a great time with it. I downloaded a hell of a lot of mods. I had fun creating uh, absurd, overly elaborate road networks that just didn't really work, but my, did they look pretty. Um, And then they brought out the expansion. And at first, I was not really too sure about it. I'm like, yeah, day and night cycle, that's kind of nice, I guess. But it felt like all the sort of niggling problems that, that stopped me from... Well, I did love the game, so it didn't stop me from loving it, but they were always in the back of my mind, like like maybe the police didn't really work too well and just kind of public services and maybe there's not enough variety in the way that the services work. And then suddenly the, the expansion just adds all of this kind of under the hood stuff um, which you don't really notice at first. The first thing you notice is, my gosh, it looks really pretty at night with my, you know, my beautiful strip of skyscrapers all lit up. Um, but then you start to realise that all of these sorts of public services that you've kind of just gotten used to ignoring um, or kind of just faffing with a little bit and then kind of getting sick of in the the core game have evolved so much um so when you go into your your budget screen and you're you're controlling like how much money you give to uh uh, to say the police or or to uh crematoriums and things like that you can tweak it so that you give them more funding to, to work more during the day or at night um depending on what time maybe you think roads are going to be more congested. Um, so, for instance, I got all my garbage pickups done at night because there were a lot less people other than, you know, drunken revelers who were more likely to take public transport um, than than cars. Um, so the roads were clear, and a lot of the issues I was having with them, and I think it's something that we spoke about it on 3MA, with my, my horrific, monstrous city filled with the dead. Um <laughs> I didn't have that sort of concerns anymore because I was able to really fine tune my services um, and and play in, in a slightly more clever way. Um, and these were really plan. like, yeah, I was able to plan exactly. And I, and I'm not saying that with disdain this time. <laughs> so yeah, um, absolutely a, a superior city builder and, and management game. And definitely one of the, the, the best games not just in terms not just in terms of strategy games but just one of the best games
0: uh, of the year Rowan, i'm just curious if you had if you had if you had reactions oh i was, uh, I, to... was gonna, I was going
2: to i was going to jump on you because i was i was not as i didn't go as deep into this as uh, yeah. y'all did
0: no i mean i I I really liked the game, uh, and to, like to the point where actually I actually have like a bookmark folder uh, in my browser, uh, full of road layouts that people posted, <laughs> like on Imager and stuff, yep. and like why they work. Because uh, uh, it turns out the one thing I can't design effectively to save my life from scratch uh, is an interchange. Uh, I will left left to my own devices. I will just botch it terribly, and like I'll have an off ramp that ends up like going a quarter mile through a neighborhood. Uh you know, just to eventually make a weird <laughs> turn. Uh I have people like plummeting off these steep off ramps off the center span of like a golden gate-sized bridge. Uh just like, well, that seems like a good place to, to to get down onto the onto the surface streets, so we'll just put it there. Uh no, I really like a lot of things in that game. Um and I didn't play as much I didn't play as much with the uh the the uh the, the nighttime expansion. Uh but yeah, I think, I think for me, I guess what I missed a little bit was that there were, there were some things that felt really well developed. Like, unsurprisingly, given the studio's background, all the traffic and transit uh, seemed really well developed and really important. And I could see the effect that my, my work was having. But then there were other things like, you know, police, fire, uh, but especially police. Those services just seemed to kind of work. See, the expansion Uh,
1: really made them more engaging. You could actually follow uh, police cars and seeing them doing their rounds and actually arresting people and taking them to the jail. And there there was a real simulation. Whereas uh, in the original game, it it kind of just happened. There was no real sim there. So you would just build police stations and they would just do their thing and you could ignore them.
0: Yeah, that that was that was, I guess, one of my objections is that it like there were parts of the whole city building experience and city management experience that uh were were really terrific for me. And then there were other parts where it's like, man, I kind of I kind of want running the city to be a little more engaging instead of just sort of building it and screwing with traffic patterns. Uh so I mean that was my that was my one complaint, but at the same time, like this is a game that sort of dominated the early part of my year where, you know, I was just sort of Obsessively building uh, the city, and then even worse, obsessively trying to fix all of its traffic inefficiencies. Because uh, and th- and that was a cool thing too, where this is a game that, <sighs> despite the fact that the game allowed for some sprawl in a way that SimCity didn't, because the maps were so small uh it did end up also doing a better job of forcing you to think about how to maximize the efficiency of space uh because because that sprawl becomes an obstacle like uh if if industries are are too far away from their 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 resources or from outlets into like you know the trade system or if workers can't get down there uh things don't work things are built but they just won't work and so i did like th- that there was this aspect of as your city grows, you're going to start to see ways that your early decisions about the city layout are actually kind of blocking the kind of development you you need right now. That's particularly resonant resonant uh, for someone who lives here in Boston, uh, where we've so much city design uh, that is completely that runs completely counter to the way the economy actually works here now. Uh, but we're kind of stuck with this this idea of the way the Boston area functioned back in the the mid 1800s and you just sort of have to work around that uh, and It was sort of cool in city skylines to encounter that myself, where it 's like oh man this 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 road was just meant to get some people from their housing into this row of factories, and now somehow it 's become the backbone route of my entire city. Uh, and everyone is trying to get down this this one like four lane road, uh, you know, every day. So I, I did enjoy I did enjoy that stuff, uh, and I, I definitely need to revisit it to see what the what the nighttime stuff changes and uh, play around with that stuff. You you mentioned Fraser that the the mayoral experience is richer.
1: There's also the benefit of all the all the mods, which are just absolutely it, it's it's crazy the sort of stuff that the, the community has built and I believe even like but in I think at launch there was already like 200 mods on the first day um I think but in the first week like a thousand mods or something absurd like that and and mostly high quality ones as well um countless like small tweaks that were just really professional um uh just like little changes to houses, like individual houses uh, and things like that, that you could just add a little bit more flavour to your city. Um, something that maybe Cost Order would have liked to do, but didn't have the time or the budget to do uh, for launch. And the, the community just rallied together and just really made it a very fat game, which is which is great. And they still are. Um there were kind of extra modding tools came with uh, uh, the expansion, so, so people were able to kind of redo some of the buildings they created, so that they look different at night and lit up in different ways, things like that. Um, so yeah, it's definitely worth a revisit, I think, Rob.
2: Well, I feel like when we talk about the mods, like the story of what the story of what made city skylines like the closest thing we had to a tentpole game. I don't think it's quite there, but um, for a while it was pretty dominant and I suspect it's as close to a consensus strategy game of the year as there is one. Um, But if you look at the way that both it sort of came together as a game and like presents itself in a business sense and what it allows the players to do, um compared to ea's last sim city attempt like this is a game that offers you the idea that you can like make decisions about what you want it to be whereas ea's sim city was just about like utter control from some distant area that prevented you from doing anything except what it wanted you to do and the idea that city skylines is so much of a better game that every part of that experience is better is like a triumph for people who actually like want the players or the consumers or whatever to actually have like a say in their experience um And, you know, I think this is a good philosophy overall beyond just video games, but uh, yeah, it's really heartwarming to see um, someone say, you know, we're relinquishing a lot of this control, you can mod the hell out of it, we love it, go for it, and have that be so obviously rewarded. It was—I mean—it's was one of the pillars of the game,
1: really, the, the modding. And, and indeed, there were mods before the game even launched because they—they'd given it to, to not just press and streamers, but also modders as well. So when people fired up the game on the first day, they just bought, it just unlocked for them. There's already stuff that they could download and you know tweak and customize. Um, that's just brilliant, and it, it feels like when you when you buy a game like that, you feel like you really do own it. Um, and then you have creative freedom over it, whereas you know you said, with Sim Sim City, it, it's it's the complete opposite of that." And especially when you're playing on like servers, and it's like EA puts all these rules and restrictions of what you can do with your own game, uh, which is just kind of tragic.
2: Just stuff like the maps, like you know, there's uh. EA had like seven different maps with nine different parts to each of them or up to nine different parts. Whereas you get the modders for city skylines and I can go do something in the Bay area. So I was like creating San Francisco and we're moving over to Oakland. And, um, that was, you know, what I wanted to do in the city builder. I wanted the sort of feel of like, a a map with, um, kind of a a historical emotional connection to it like why are things put together the way they are here what would make these parts of it better or worse um but also just in how the game is played like you said rob like you make these decisions early on and you can see the effects then and then you get these totally different effects later like that sort of thing is totally missing from the ea sim city but it's sort of a necessary part of freedom right you have the freedom and then you have the consequences and so it's not just a business decision of adding mods and not being servers and blah 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 but it's also part of the game design itself which i think is uh crucial and impressive
0: Yeah, SimCity always had this feeling of there there were things happening in my city that I had no control over. It was just an artifact of, you know, the, the sort of ass backwards way the game had been designed, right? So a lot of problems were being inherited from the fact that like, oh, the person I was sharing this map with just wandered off and has let their city go to shit. And that's why, like, there is a cavalcade of, like, literal criminals. It's like a Donald Trump nightmare (laughs) of, like, you know, I've got my, like, nice little city right here, like, nice bedroom community and, like, tech workers. And then from the slums come all these people because my buddy abandoned his uh, city and it filled up with trash and criminals. And now they're coming to loot my city. Uh, Did
2: that actually work? I thought that stuff was just, like, totally faked.
0: No, um, it may maybe it was faked, but I know for a fact that when we had a little PC games and uh like city uh like network of cities uh, in the early days, uh, one of the things I noticed when I went back about eight days after launch, when everybody lost interest, <laughs> uh, about eight days after the game came out, I logged in and. Um, A one of our coworkers had had abandoned his city for about like a week that 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 entire week, and I was seeing like I was able to see uh, a lot of criminals coming in from the highway Uh, because it's always a highway. There's these long highways connecting you to these other these other communities, and uh, yeah. Uh, So I mean, I saw I saw it happening. It may have been faked, or it may have been faked with like brute force math, uh, not really driven by the simulation, but just sort of. You know, oh, this city's gone to hell, so we're gonna increase the population of criminals coming in. But I definitely had issues uh, popping up uh, because there were sort of inherited problems from from other cities. So you know, take that for what it's All worth. Right.
2: Um, but yeah, I, I think City Skylines was great. It's just not quite the city builder that like I like. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's definitely the closest we had to the big ass game, which is really interesting because it is a small ass game.
0: <laughs> All right, so somebody else bring up a game because I because I I'm I'm holding my fire a little Total bit. Total War Attila, you son of a bitch!
1: <laughs> I got there before you. Fraser, we're
0: supposed to leave that for the end of the show.
1: No, <laughs> we right, can erase let's, this. Let's just... do this. <laughs> but let's dig in because uh Attila is flipping amazing. um After I kind of felt creative assembly had maybe lost their way a little bit
2: um (laughs) uh, is there any evidence of this anywhere
1: (laughs) can we just overlook (laughs) Rome two for a little okay but
0: it's not just rome two (laughs) no it's not like it's not because here's like because i just wrote this huge thing at pc gamer about why attila was important and i think that the thing that worried me was that i loved shogun 2 but a lot of the reason I loved Shogun 2 was because it was Creative Assembly very carefully deciding what was and was not going to be in that game. It was uh, scale so back. Yeah, it was it was not Empire. They'd gotten rid of a lot of the sprawl that that was going on in Empire, it was more a lot like of Napoleon, the Because sort of, that's yeah. kept,
1: that's where Empire kind of became something I liked. Yes. Was with the Napoleon DLC, because there was focus, it was scale back. They kind of um, and it wasn't just the, 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 ad, the, added kind of bonus of an interesting narrative was, was fun, but it was more about kind of, there's a set, a real sense of place rather than just, here's the world. It's a mess and broken. Yeah.
0: yeah I mean, so, I mean, I, I think I was just concerned because you had their, their, their big successes were coming when they're sort of stepping away from attempts to do really bold new things. And then they go to Rome too. And it's like the worst of all possible worlds where, uh, it's, it's, it's poorly executed, the game barely works. And uh also somehow it's it's at once sort of trying to recreate the original Rome, but then there's huge parts of the original Rome design that they're just gone, and they sort of try to recreate them with, with crummier systems, which is almost hard to believe. Uh, but yeah, the 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 Roman Senate and all that crap in, in, in Rome too is, is just complete disaster. And so yeah, I had I had sort of reached a point where I was like, oh man, these guys are out of ideas every time they try to do something new or ambitious they completely like screw the pooch and the only good total wars are the ones where they sort of give up on their on their bad new ideas and serve up uh you know a a a real total war game so yeah that was my concern and attila definitely addressed that for me
1: it it's kind of it's it's a massive surprise not just because it was coming off the back of of Rome 2 which was you know and i i i defended it and I, I, I think that it had a lot of, of, of good parts. And in the end, the Empire edition, I genuinely think it is a, is a great Total War game. Um, but there was still something kind of missing. And then Attila comes around and they haven't like scaled it back or anything. It's not like they've gone from like Empire to Shogun 2 and they've... They're kind of focusing on this you know much smaller period of time in this much smaller kind of region. it's still huge and sprawling with all of these kind of colorful and diverse factions, but they make it work. it doesn't feel out of control. I think a lot of that is that there's a real theme underpinning it all this post-apocalypse, this uh, you know the destruction of land, Burning everything, and and the you know the constant migrations of all these different nomadic tribes, and it, it's like this kind of the old empires, the Sassanids, uh, the the Western and Eastern Roman Empire, kind of trying to stand their ground. These big old sprawling, out of date superpowers that are now being chipped away at by these up and coming barbarians. Um, yeah, it, it's it's something kind of very special and very surprising
0: yeah i uh it, it's 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 so unexpected to to see the game actually work that well and to have things that have just never worked well suddenly start to matter like i always thought the family stuff and the dynastic stuff was kind of crap
1: yeah agreed. In, in total
0: war uh and it, it it only came up so rarely but when it did it was always just in this weird like out of blue you know go screw yourself context uh, but, you know, you wouldn't pay attention to it because, it, you know, turn by turn, it wasn't worth doing. But And this is especially true of, like, the Western Romans, but it's kind of true of everyone. Uh, an issue you run into in Attila is that even if things are going okay or you're at least holding the line a little bit, uh, if your ruler doesn't project enough authority, if he doesn't have enough influence uh your faction can still start to fall apart. Generals will like start to think, well, I could be, I could be king. I could be emperor. And so it, it does sort of recreate this sense of and if you read the histories of this era, this is absolutely one of the driving forces of the politics, both among the Romans and the, the tribes and, and, and nations they were dealing with, is the fact that nothing is stable. Everyone is sort of trying to hold these nations together uh when there's when really there's you know the, the bonds the glue is, is really weakening and this sort of plays out in Rome where you're constantly like checking in like okay how's your ruler doing in terms of authority uh eh, not not so great uh meanwhile your best general uh is you know far and away the most important and capable character but you need him being a general. You need him out there protecting the kingdom except that character you know you now know for a fact is starting to think about like, you know, mutiny and launching a a civil war. And that's that's a really cool change to to have introduced.
1: And um, one of the things that I really liked about this sort of um politics and family system that they've got, it is that it isn't just about everyone's kind of maybe trying to to steal your throne and steal your power. It's that you could, in, in trying to retain that power, you can just fuck everything up. Um, I recall uh, hilariously my um, uh, my brother was getting a bit rowdy, thinking maybe he'd do a better job of, of ruling uh, than I would. Um, I was busy, so I sent my wife to kind of talk to him yeah. and, uh, and maybe talk him down, see if we can come to some sort of agreement. She castrated him. As you do, but it was okay because you know now this now castrated brother of mine is is totally chill again um and, and, and <laughs> very docile, <laughs> very docile this is this is what well, this is happening in Attila <laughs> and um and it it's all good and i'm kind of i kind of forget about the incident, and I'm kind of just building up my empire, defending my borders, and then I find out that it turns out. People are kind of pissed off that my wife castrated a dude. So they kill her. They gang up and they assassinate Whoa. my wife. My wife is dead. I, I-
0: never had that happen. Yeah, I- it,
1: it's, and it's it's happened that
0: specific series of events oh my god because i had chopped i have i have been known to chop a few willies off in yeah. that game because it's a plus <laughs> five loyalty it uh, is. right away which is pretty <laughs> substantial like usually that fixes a lot of problems yeah you're, you're getting characters fixed creative assembly uh,
1: have some very strong opinions in what chopping off uh, a willy will do
0: this is this is like that silent hill uh admin uh with the the, the anti-circumcision <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Sorry for, for listeners, there's this Silent Hill Wiki where one of the administrators there, it being a wiki, uh had a hang up about circumcision and basically tried to turn the entire Silent Hill Wiki into a propaganda outlet for people uh with that position. Anyway, uh yeah, so I oh boy, so I had never had AI characters launch like a plot against a character for doing stuff like that. Like what I was worried about the most was just purely stuff like someone is going to declare and then it's civil war time. Uh, so that was the thing I was, I was watching for and that was the thing that would happen to me. I never had, boy, I I, I think I had various family members chopping, you know, <laughs> chopping bits off my uh, <laughs> bits off people right and left.
2: So this feels like, you're describing like the first grand post crusader king strategy game
1: yeah it, that's what it feels like a lot of the things that that Attila does really well is i'm not I'm not going to say ripping off CK2 not at all, but it's definitely taken some ideas from or or kind of been inspired by uh, some of the things you can do in CK2, the way that the factions, the kind of domestic stuff works. Um, and it just makes... It, it gives your own faction so much more personality. You're not just the cities and the soldiers. There are generals and politicians and priests and spies and champions and just people within your your kingdom your empire that need to be dealt with that that can be exploited and manipulated but can also pose a serious threat to the stability of your um of your kingdom um and so it's it's not just about building and fighting anymore there are, there's genuine politics that you can really delve into now it is still simple it is really simple to get uh, you know, to grips with, and which I think is actually a bonus. Um, but it does have moments where you're like, shit, this is actually a lot deeper than I would have ever expected in a total war game.
0: Yeah, and I I think Age of Charlemagne. So you know, it's Corotilla does a lot of cool things that uh Troy and I sort of waxed rhapsodic about uh when we when we talked about the the game ages ago, but yeah these expansions uh definitely change things change things up quite a bit and i i really loved how age of charlemagne uh for me i like phrasing for me age of charlemagne felt like actually a lot like really old total war games yeah because um, it, it's pretty medieval simple 2,
1: i think is i think isn't that a comparison you made in your, your PC uh, medieval gaming? one actually because
0: yeah because yeah, medieval one at least the ai kind of knew how the game worked whereas in <laughs> medieval 2 you couldn't really say that but in in this, it, it's interesting because it's kind of this closed system. It's a smallish map, and there's not that many there, there's not that many factions on it. And so the game's really quickly going to come down to like, you know, five or six uh, viable powers, and really most of them trying to deal with the the problem of the uh, the kingdom of the Franks, uh, which is which is up there in the north, uh, and, and and poses a pretty huge threat. But what was interesting there was. The diplomacy was actually making sense. Like AI, like AI factions were making smart deals with me. They were like, "We should, we should, we should create an alliance," and they were, and they were holding in to a it. total. They war were game. like, they were following the alliance. Oh, oh, and when you set war goals uh, in the diplomacy model, your puppet states, at least actually send huge armies to go take cities that you've designated as targets so there was a point where like i had uh an enemy army from the from the um the theme of sicily i was sort of running around in, in my backfield and all my armies were away and this army's capturing settlements so i go to the the puppet states i control and i'm like look deal with this and they did <laughs> like they 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 created like a huge freaking like there, there were like two full stacks that went after this rogue army and like cornered it and took it down and captured the cities uh so like that was new and then topped up top off with like on top of that there's the war exhaustion which encourages war to end and ai will also take peace deals when it makes sense all entirely revolutionary concepts for Total War.
2: <laughs> in 14 years of Total War games, my general concept of diplomacy is once you have a border with somebody, it's about only a matter of time until you're at war with them yeah. forever.
1: I mean, in fairness, the series is called Total War, but after we've been at this for a very long time. Yeah, so it is nice to be to see quite that so creative total. Assembly can- yeah. But the thing <laughs> is, the wars are still as as epic and savage and, and fun as they, they always have been. But there's this extra layer of tension yeah. because you're like, I can't keep going on. Uh, it, it's just it's going on too long. I have to be smart and figure out when I can sort of when I have to cut my losses. Um, and it isn't because whereas in other Total War games, it's just like, I'm going to end the war by annihilating my enemy. That's how the war ends. Someone wins and someone loses. Um, Whereas there's a lot more nuance to it in Charlemagne. And I think, to be honest, there's a lot more nuance to it in in, uh, Attila as well. I think that diplomacy while still a little bit eccentric, is generally improved in Attila over um, previous Total War games.
0: Yeah. Rowan, you got to get in on this uh, because, well, we'll we'll talk about this in 2016, but I I feel like we all (laughs) need to sit down and work through our feelings again uh, about, about the recent Total Wars. But... The other thing I just want to add is because the diplomacy works, it's it's an interesting effect where like you fix a little thing. Well, these are big things, but you fix certain systems and other things become less of a problem. Like it wasn't just that you were at war with people forever that got exhausting, but it caused these really awful spirals where because you were never at peace and your armies were always fighting, so they're always getting uh, worn down, you had problems of like unending rebellion because you never actually had time to consolidate a province and rebuild it and settle things down, and so yeah, it's 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 total war. It's everything's gone crazy. But there were these spirals you could not break out of because you were always fighting and you never got a chance to like pause. And it wasn't fun. Like putting down the same rebellion every three turns is not fun. And because now the game sort of has systems to say, all right, everybody, everybody, take a break, time out. Uh Not only do the battles become better because you're fighting like reconsolidated enemy armies with full armies of your own, so it's not these like you know two exhausted armies clubbing each other, but then you also do away with a lot of that awful, awful busy work of okay, i'll just I'll crush these peasants again fine, did it can can I rebuild the tavern now? Will you shout, no, no, you're rebelling again, okay, fine that was that kind of goes away, uh certainly in charlemagne so. Yeah, there's there's a lot of things I really like about Attila, and this last weekend I I spent pretty much the entire weekend, uh, you know, shotgunning this game, which hasn't happened for me in a total war game like in years. The thing is, we you know we're
1: gushing about how how great it is, but there's inevitably going to be some people that that will listen and go, "Oh, it sounds great," but I'm not buying it because DLC. Um, and you know it's reasonable to to look at the DLC and go, "Christ, that's a that's a lot of DLC," and a lot of it is just more factions, and and I think people worry that creative assembly and Sega and nickel and diming, um, but actually some of these uh, factions that you get are real game changers, um. Uh, I was speaking to Rob, last night about the, the desert factions, the Empire of the Sands DLC, um, and they aren't just new, like, they're not just reskins, they're not just um, Middle Eastern factions, they're not just the Sassanids, again, um, they all have their own little little special kind of bonuses and and things like that and special uh, units. But there's also this sort of way that they change the game in a a more dramatic way. For instance, uh, I'm playing as the the Himyar at the moment. Uh, They are... Uh, currently spreading Judaism throughout the Middle East quite successfully, I might add, which has caused a lot of issues because a lot of these other factions are not Jewish and it kind of were rubbing Fraser, up we do, against. Do we have a
0: recurring theme on the show with you playing strategy games to create Jewish empires As, that are historical? Yeah. I, yeah. Okay. I
1: think that, I think that is a pretty common theme for Okay. Me, actually. You, so there's there's uh, something compelling
0: odd. about that for you where <laughs> you're like, you know what this game really needs? Strong <laughs> Jewish people.
1: Yeah, Strong, proud Jewish to, Vikings. It's a running theme, but uh, so 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 I've been doing that. But I've actually been playing the game in in a dramatically different way from, from most Total War sessions, in that I'm playing an economic simulator. <laughs> um, it's not as deep as a proper ac- uh, economic sim, but um, the Himmars are all about being really rich. They have wonderful resources. They. Uh, Lots of lead mines and things like that that you can kind of um, start building quite quickly. So they have a a significant amount of natural resources to exploit. And a lot of the places that they kind of naturally are kind of pushed into conquering um, also have a diverse range of resources. So they create these brilliant trade deals that just give them a, a huge amount of money, which is absolutely necessary because any sort of expansion that they're going to be doing is, is going to push them up against the uh, two of the most almighty empires in the game, the Sassanids and the Eastern Roman Empire. Um, so there's going to be a huge war against it with the old guard at some point. So kind of, Laying down the foundations for a, a gargantuan military force uh, by kind of playing this long economic game is, is kind of, it's not a necessity. There are other ways to play the faction, but it's, it's, it's how I've been doing it and I've actually been having fun. Um, and it's a, it's a very different way to, to play for me, thinking more about resources and money than fighting. So yeah, it's it's worth at least looking at the DLC and not just looking at them as ripping players off. These a lot of these factions add new dimensions to the game, and sometimes you get brand new campaigns, like in Age of Charlemagne and the Last. Yeah, I think you're complaining well.
0: about like the the expansion campaigns, like charging money for that, like that. That I think is it's like crazy, you're missing right? the point. That's a different game. Like it's it's yeah. it's Total War Attila, but like no, it's 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 a different game. Charlemagne is is not Attila uh yeah so that's that i think is kind of a tentpole uh for us and if only rowan had played we could have a real agreement <laughs> troy did say before because he couldn't be here today uh troy did send a message where he was like yeah my pick is uh my, my picks are attila and rule the waves which is a a naval uh construction game uh which we'll be talking about uh in our winter of war gaming uh rowan any other any other great highlights for you i think that
2: uh this is sort of the year that XCOM took over. It would be a lot easier to say that if XCOM 2 had come out, but uh, <laughs> In fact, no XCOM are...
0: game came out, so that's a very bold statement.
2: <laughs> there are a lot of XCOM games that are not called XCOM that came out this year. Um but we talked about Invisible Inc., which is it's not that that much like the new XCOM and that it, it doesn't have the same sort of like movement system to it, but um, I feel like the idea that you could do a turn-based strategy game or a turn-based tactics game with mass appeal sort of sunk in after XCOM came out, and uh, people have taken advantage of that. And Invisible Inc. is probably related to that, but uh, both Massive Chalice and Hard West use exactly that sort of two-prong movement system. They're very clearly XCOM. But didn't both so
1: kind of fall flat a little bit? I mean, I I, I haven't played Hard West. Um but it seems to get a sort of eh, slightly lukewarm reception.
2: I mean, I don't know that it was like an instant classic, but I think that's one of the, the interesting stories is that you have a bunch of generally good, maybe even great games. Massive Chalice is super interesting. I don't know that it like lands everything that it's trying to do, but I, I don't know that very much of anything could land what that's trying to do. Yeah. Um, one of my favorites of the year uh is darkest dungeon which is officially coming out next year but has been in early access since like february or something um and that's tactic like tactics on a two-dimensional grid but it's still a tactical game that with a huge strategic layer and it actually combines the two by giving like each of your characters stress that they have to deal with and like you send them to the bar or whatever after you do a mission when they get too stressed out so that they can uh drink their cares away and like it's it's a really clever way of sort of making connecting all the parts of a tactical RPG strategy game that um and it has a very strong xcom feel because your characters will die all the time like you can try to create a super party but even if you do like they'll get uh they'll get stressed out or the equivalent in xcom would be wounded or whatever and they'll have to go back um so i th- i feel like there's a lot of a lot of games are taking what made that uh xcom reboot so special and kind of running with it and i think that this is only going to be really good moving forward because there were a lot of good ideas that needed tweaks that's one of my big stories of the strategy game year also the long war which has been in development pretty much since xcom came out but like sort of officially finished this year and um I think it sort of does what Enemy Within did, which is give you an excuse to play XCOM again, and it's very good at that. It has issues the further you progress in it, but uh, yeah, I played a hell of a lot of tactics games this year, and was generally happy for it. That's great, Ron, but you should really play Attila. <laughs> Alright. You, you know, uh, you know I, what else
0: has tactics.
2: <laughs> I, I, just, I just put it on my Steam wish list, so you can pick that up for me anytime you want, Fraser. I will I will really
1: consider it.
2: Uh it's it's
0: Christmas, Fraser.
1: Yeah, it is the time of giving. Yeah. But well, you maybe should ask Percy to buy it for you.
0: Yeah, it, it's time it, it's time that jackass does something for you. Uh, he would buy Rome too. Be like, he'd be With like all the oh, DLC.
1: not the Empire he, edition.
2: He'd be like, Oh, the Emperor edition, it's good now. You really should try it and then he'd bite the hell out of me and then wait, I'd play it. Wait, and I'd am I Percy the hell out of myself too?
0: This is this is starting to sound too familiar. like I'm not Percy I'm not like Percy, am I? You don't think I'm like the asshole cat. <laughs> I'm just I'm just your cool buddy, Rob Zachney. I'm not yeah I'm not I'm nothing like that dickhead cat.
2: I swear I looked at the Humble bundle for like all of Rome two for fifteen bucks and I just like increasingly <laughs> panicked at the idea of actually paying money for this game. Uh it was it was it was started getting dark. <laughs> So and I was like, okay, if I'm this
0: stressed out about it, I just not gonna do not it. I'm gonna, gonna go it. play Massive Chalice. And I did, and that was fun. Okay. Uh so I think the last thing I, I want to mention. Well, okay, there's there's one game I, I do want to toss in there real quick. Uh Vietnam 65 is a game we talked about earlier this year, which is a really cool um game about uh the operations in the Eodrang Valley, but really it's more about like our conception of Vietnam as a whole. And I think Bruce Garrick, when we did a show on this earlier this year, he said that actually Vietnam 65 is really more a simulation of how, uh, like American strategists thought, uh, Vietnam should work. And if you followed these steps, you would, you would have counterinsurgency success. Uh, but it it is nonetheless a, a really interesting game about this tension between, uh, you know, winning hearts and minds and exposing troops to risk and keeping, uh, people back home satisfied with the progress of the war. So, uh, highly recommended. The the last thing I wanted to mention is just um, what did we think of what what went on with the with the RTS uh, genre this year? Because I think for me, like on my list of, of great games for this year, uh, I do have Grey Goo and Starcraft: Legacy of the Void. But nobody's brought it up uh, until I'm sort of saying, well, it's the end of the show and we have to bring it up. Uh, but I'm I'm worried this, this, that this tells us something. Uh, that it, these are these are great RTS games but i don't know for you like w- like Fraser you and i were very high on Grey Goo but but did did we all cool on RTSs in general this year what wh- why do you think these aren't making it into the conversation
1: i think that might be it. i mean
0: uh, grey goo was a lot
1: of fun um and we had a lot of fun playing together as well um you know Aww. Uh, yeah it's nice um, <laughs> but i, I it just hasn't stuck with me, I guess, in, in the same way that um, that other kind of larger strategy games have, um, and maybe I am cooling on RTS games generally. I think um, Act of Aggression it, it did a number on me, Rob. <laughs> i to be honest. Um, it kind of it has made me cool on on uh, on RTSs in general perhaps and um, although i am planning on on getting into uh legacy of the void because i do love some starcraft too but i have actually, i've just i kind of feel like there are always really good turn based or grand strategy games or 4x games just waiting for me to play and i i know that i'll get a little bit more out of them than an rts so i maybe i'm more uh likely to pick them over over real-time strategy now,
0: which sounds terrible. Wait, I've,
2: I've been cool on the conventional basecraft RTS-style game for, like, 20 years now. Like <laughs> The only ones I like are the ones that either do something really interesting, like um, Seven Kingdoms, or... Uh, have really really strong level design and interesting stories for a single player mode which is basically just blizzard games
1: oh Um, i tell you what though i should mention and I, i didn't really bring it up because it's not it's in early access i eventually got around to playing ashes of the singularity and i think that has potential Um, I really like a lot of the things that it's doing with uh, controlling large number of units. It's not just about the epic scope where it's trying to sort of emulate um, Supreme Commander and Total Annihilation, but it's the way you actually can, the the fine control that you get over these these large groups where they all work very well together and it all feels very smooth. Um, It's hard to really say whether it's going to be amazing because... It's in early access, there's, the last I played of it, there was really just a few maps, and they were all the same sort of biomes, and there was, it was all just really the, the foundations of a game. But it certainly has potential. But it, I wouldn't put it in my kind of yeah, I, game of the year No, yet. no, and I...
0: <laughs> I think there's a lot of interesting ideas uh, there, and and I had a lot of, a long conversation uh, with with Brad Wardell about sort of ideas behind the game and where it could be going, and all games sound great in that context. Oh, it could do this, and it's it, we we want to do this, fantastic, and and I I do like the idea of uh, control groups. You form you form these armies. Uh, that will sort of function intelligently based on their own composition right so artillery will move to the back and tanks will move to the front automatically uh depending on faith yeah it does and it works Uh, but at the same time i I look at it and i'm also like i think this game is kind of unattractive i don't like the art i don't like i I don't like the art that much um there's a lot of units but it's kind of all a blur um and i do wonder if
1: and they're all like robots kind of things in the yeah, way that like I guess it yeah. was and in and, and planetary annihilation did it as well and it's it's very it makes you feel very distanced yeah, from the and, conflict and especially
0: because a lot of the game you're going to be playing very sort of zoomed out and it's uh, like I certain when I'm playing I'm spending actually a lot more time uh making sure reinforcements are making it to the armies out on the field than I'm spending actually really controlling mm-hmm. those armies uh which is funny it's like I'm it's it's like a it's like a quartermaster RTS rather than a general uh, RTS. But so I, I I wonder where that's headed. Uh, but I think for this year, go on. Did you all play any Off World Trading Company? Yes. Yes,
1: and again that's that's still in early access. But that's now that is a very interesting game. I've only played a little bit of it. That's one where I really do like the style. It's a very pretty game. Um, but yeah, I guess the thing that it does differently is it's it's not a, a kind of traditional RTS base building game. It's an economic game, a trade game, uh, where yeah. you're kind of pouring over menus and goods and things like that, um, which is very much floating my boat.
0: Also, very. Uh, I had the, like I had the misfortune of playing it with uh, two people who've li- who spent large portions of their career in finance uh and and things like that so i mean i just got like rolled in that game because there were people just sort of like reading because the game's all about like reading the market and taking advantage of it and i'm like you know i'm just operating at like half speed uh compared to these guys so i i think it's a i think it's a cool it's definitely a cool game uh but i it was a game where i sometimes struggled to uh basically i'm bad at i think is 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 is, is, like there's other ways i can i can phrase (laughs) this but i I just need to get good and stop being such a scrub uh no but it's like because the way the market is working it starts making these movements and i'll be slow to react to them or i'll be like i won't fully understand why they're happening because i'm not thinking that there's factors that i can't see right that other people are changing the market uh and i could i should be able to infer things from the way the market is changing but i'm just bad at making those reads uh so you know in in a, in a traditional rts you can always see like the 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 rock beating the uh, beating the scissor right you can always see something like that happening cuz something is exploding uh in offworld trading company like you know a commodity price begins to dip and that's important information, but I am really bad at, like, sort of figuring out exactly what it is. Anyway.
1: See, what you need is you need to play against someone who is really bad with with money and things like that as well. I, I spent, like, 200 okay, pounds we on should get
0: Yeah, I think for me in R- these RTS games, like, I really liked Grey Goo. I really liked uh, Legacy of the Void. I just I think the reason they don't make it into the conversation at the end of the year as much for me is because they were both really great examples of familiar uh formulas. And they make some important strides. I think Grey Goo has a has a brilliant control system and uh some really cool faction design. I think Legacy of the Void introduces a lot of great stuff to StarCraft too and I prophecies just prophecies everywhere it's fantastic yeah really pays off on the rich lore of starcraft and it (laughs) turns out that all those things you thought were sort of character-driven plot moments uh turns out to have been all part of a grand plan uh laid by an evil alien precursor so you know that's how it goes in the far future blizzard (laughs) but that also holds me back from including them as much in this conversation because yeah, it's, it's more exciting to talk about these, these new things we saw uh, this year, these games that were truly, really, like, 180 degrees different from each other and different from what we've, you know, seen before. And these were really good RTSs in a traditional mold. That's great. That's a, that's a huge accomplishment. But it's not the sort of thing where I'm sitting here in December and saying, guys, this, was, this sort of defined the year in strategy for me.
2: I mean, I, like I said, I felt like this for decades now is the, the, the idea that it's not that they're not strategy games, but the idea that, like, they are a pillar of strategy games or even the biggest and best part. Like, the GameFAQs poll that came out had, like, four strategy games on it, and three of them were, like, late 90s RPGs, And RPSs. somehow Undertale
0: still won. Weird.
2: <laughs> yeah the the only like non-basecraft strategy game on it was civilization 5 like the most obvious pick possible it's like the, the idea that these are what strategy games are no they're like one minor thing that sometimes i like just like everything else yeah and, uh, so i've never i've never felt like their sort of market weight or um, discourse weight was anywhere near how i perceived of them which is something that can be fun when it's really good and uh yeah i think i think a lot of legacy of the voids level design was really good but the story dragged it down so much that i'm not putting it on any list as a single player yeah thing um one of the things that we've talked about a few times here and uh, might be sort of the the endless legending of strategy games is how important aesthet how important aesthetics have been yeah um, I think it's become increasingly impossible to have a strategy game that's just like here's an ugly thing with great systems, so you're gonna love this.
0: Uh, the Thea the Awakening gave it another
2: shot.
1: <laughs> <laughs> they really did. Let's make everything green and brown. <laughs>
2: uh, so there are a couple indie strategy games that I played this fall that uh, we we did a show on Kingdom, and like that was it's not nobody talk about game. Kingdom. Um, <laughs> have you checked oh, yeah. out those, those patches it's really year. worth go giving another
1: fucked up, Rob.
0: i don't even think i don't even believe you i don't think that game has been patched i think you're just trying to like poison me again
1: <laughs> you should go back and check it out man
2: yeah uh but there's also a game called fate tectonics which is sort of like a real-time single-player carcassonne where you're like trying to manage a pantheon of deities and build a world like as puzzle pieces so that it all fits together and it's got this like mid 90s japanese rpg kind of thing where it's like you're creating the world map for suikoden one or chrono trigger or whatever and it's just a really neat kind of like conceptual idea for a pretty good game but it wouldn't be it wouldn't be interesting at all if it didn't have this like oh my god like the the gods are angry and they've just nuked this entire zone of the map and this is like the desert from final fantasy 6 and it's like this is really good for indie strategy games where they can sort of have an immediate grabbing appeal that uh instead of just we ran the numbers and the numbers made something cool
0: all right so um as we wind down what are you what are you looking forward to next year because because uh rowan you you imply that next year is going to be crazy and i was like no it's going to be it's <laughs> it's, it's, it's going to be total Karazi. warhammer <laughs> well i mean i've i did a hands-on with total
2: warhammer played one of the battles and i'm like they got total war battles down at a level that i haven't seen other than mods that came out like five years after the game was completed like this it felt really really good so i'm pretty pretty excited about that but um Sort of to go back a little bit, I think that 2012 is one of the best years for games I've ever seen, particularly strategy games. Uh, That was based primarily on two fantastic, probably all time greats in Crusader Kings 2 and XCOM. And like, that's all you need. You only need to (laughs) land like two of those giant games, and suddenly that like defines the entire year. And I think that there are. Three, four, three and a half games that are all looking pretty exciting in XCOM 2, Total Warhammer, Stellaris, and maybe Hearts of Iron 4 that are offering, like, the potential for something like 2012 again. And, like, I've previewed, well, we all previewed Hearts of Iron, and that was, had some good ideas, but was definitely not ready. Um, But maybe when it'll a year on from that, it will be Stellaris... um, i was very skeptical of but i if like anyone can take the things that i am skeptical of in strategy games and turn them into things that have work it would be henrik and paradox development studio like they did with crusader kings 2 like before crusader kings 2 you wouldn't say like oh yeah we have like this underpinning soap soap
0: Mm. opera of see there uh, i don't know I don't know. I, I feel like Crusader Kings too. Like there was already this awareness that because a lot of people really liked Crusader Kings. This is the thing because you know Crusader Kings two didn't come out of nowhere. There were a lot of people of them. who who really loved the direction that Crusader Kings implied. Um,
1: and indeed, it, that was kind of expanded upon with um, uh, Rome as well. Um, yeah, because there was all the the kind of dynastic politics that Paradox put into that um kind of senate squabbling things like that and um was it sengoku yeah had a bit of that so
0: the there was a lot of could, these have, could have been great if only it had been built on the on the, on the ck2 engine uh really mm. and most of those mechanics but but roman I, I just have an important question have you seen any evidence of shipbuilding in stellaris there is a tiny bit but it seems to
2: be like you know 1% of the game instead of 75% like Galsev or whatever it's I I couldn't even tell if it was like ship building or just kind of like saying I want this ship to look curvy and this ship to look angular Uh, so yeah it did not appear to be the big thing but like I like I am as skeptical as anyone except for Rob except about uh um your your space grand strategy games but like it seemed like all the pieces that uh they were talking about were working well and total warhammer you know i said i played it it looks fantastic and uh xcom 2 i did not actually preview but everyone else seems to be saying good things about it so like if two of these four games manage to land like we're going to be talking about those for years probably and not in a bad way like rome 2
0: (laughs) yeah (laughs) <laughs> uh, all right, so I think we'll 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 leave it off there. Uh, let's. We haven't even mentioned Homeworld. <laughs> oh God, Deserts of Karak.
1: Yeah, we haven't even mentioned that's coming out. Really, it's soon. it's coming out
0: real soon, super soon, real soon. <laughs> like
1: <laughs> I'm pretty excited. Troublingly guys. soon. Yeah, I've not. <laughs> prepared myself for it in any way. Like, it's, wasn't this game called Shipbreakers
0: like two weeks ago? Yeah, not anymore. No, nah that was like a year ago, but
1: then they got the homeworld license. Um, yeah. It's and it's it's you know, homeworld devs making homeworld. I mean under,
0: under the aegis of gearbox. So <laughs> what could well, I mean, what could possibly go wrong? No, I really but, hope not. No, like, to be
1: fair, the remastered collection was superb uh, and that was under, under yes. kind of gearboxes. Yeah, that's true. Uh,
0: yeah. Although there were a lot of issues with their with their remaster, at least at launch, like certain things didn't really quite work. Like formations uh, didn't quite work the same, uh, which kind of changed game dynamics in, in some in some important ways. But yeah, I like I'm genuinely are are you genuinely hopeful for this? Because I've seen so little of yeah. it that, that makes me actually terrified. <sighs>
1: Yeah, that that's a thing because it's it's changing a lot of things. I mean, it's a ground based or at least a planetary based RTS yeah. rather than a space based one.
2: Um, I mean, doesn't and, that you know, make it not the same thing at all? Like it could yeah, be, it could be very cool, but like I don't, yeah. I don't see why you should certain... get excited about this at a level of Homeworld and Homeworld Two when the thing that made those cool was that you were in space, you were doing Battles yeah. the Battlestar Galactica reboot before that even came out.
1: But I think there's a lot of other things about it. It's the elegance of the controls of the format. And, and it's mm. still going to have a lot of uh, air combat and things like that. There's also just, um, you know, the beauty of Homeworld. It sounded fantastic. It looked
0: incredible. Yeah, I mean, but, if they have there's the the composer, atmosphere. The, this, the is, the desert. this is... Yeah.
1: You know, I, um, I'm excited i because and that's you know i think a lot of that is the the home world name yeah i I
0: think it has to be because i am like i just look at it and i'm really like just fingers crossed but i'm sort of gripping my armrests right (laughs) we're gonna find out really soon that's the nice thing real soon and again whenever things (laughs) go from it doesn't exist doesn't exist to it's coming out in three weeks i start to (laughs) I, i start to get a little frisson up my spine I'm still uh, so, going to be
1: like asleep from New Year. I mean, I don't know how I'm going to get time to play it, but. Yeah, well, well maybe see.
0: maybe that'll be one of the things that lands uh, in 2016 and we'll be talking about for years. Uh, Year crossed. defining. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that will do it for this week's episode of Three Moves Ahead, which is produced by Michael Hermes and hosted by the Idle Thumbs Network. You can learn more about the show or discuss this episode with our community by visiting our website at threemovesahead.net. And that does it. Uh, for 2015 and we are Woo! on to 2016 so thanks for listening this year uh thank you for supporting us on patreon and uh, I look forward to I, I look forward to uh you know talking with you guys about strategy games uh, and war games for for another year and hopefully we'll we'll have lots of good ones to talk about including a few of the ones we've we've mentioned uh, here at the tail end of the show so happy new year everybody uh until next week this is Rob Zachney saying goodnight. Uh, like, okay. We're ready, master. I'm
2: not ready. Zun
0: zun.